Well, good morning, Firewall Bible Fellowship. Let's open our Bibles. We are in Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2 is where we are at this morning. We are continuing our journey, our stroll down the great hall of faith as found in Hebrews chapter 11 last week. Uh, we saw, we witnessed, we considered the canvas of Abraham's incredible faith in God and his willingness to lay it all down uh, in Genesis chapter 22. Well, this morning as we continue down this great hall, we're, we're arriving at a, a rather peculiar portrait. In, in fact, one that seems remarkably out of place. It's almost like somebody at some point snuck it in and then it just got left there and enough time had passed and uh, it's still there. And really, it leaves each student of the Bible who comes across this particular portrait to wonder, why is this portrait here? Well, it is the portrait of a woman dressed in the ancient and even provocative garb of a pagan prostitute. And and we stop and, and we stare at it And on the surface, we just cannot figure out what in the world is she doing in the hall of faith? That is, of course, until we spend a little bit more time with this particular portrait. And the more time that we do, the more that we realize that she does hold her rightful place in the great hall of faith. In fact, there's far more to the story than what we see on the surface. In fact, as we lean in, we read that little brass nameplate affixed to the frame, and it reads, Rahab the prostitute. Now, over the past week, I have had the privilege of getting to know this rather remarkable woman of faith. And really, my desire this morning is to share her remarkable story. I mean, there's there's really so much that I would like to tell you about Rahab. Uh, in fact, I feel like I could, I could fill a whole series of messages just about her and her sterling qualities and her incredible faith. But what I'm going to do is, is do my best within two messages to give you enough to stir in your heart maybe a desire to search out more and learn more about this incredible woman. A woman whose faith in the book of James chapter 2 is spoken of in the same breath as that of the great faith of Abraham. And even though her story is caught up in the greater narrative of the book of Joshua and really the conquest of the promised land in the Old Testament, it is her name that is preserved in the great hall of faith of Hebrews chapter 11 while Joshua's name, a name we would expect to find there, isn't even mentioned. In fact, there's one other place in the New Testament that we find the name Rahab inscribed. Get this. In the great hall of the genealogy of Jesus Christ of Matthew chapter 1. Somehow, the genealogy of Jesus passes directly through this pagan Canaanite prostitute. And we're left to ask the question, who in the world is this lady? 
Well, we first meet Rahab at a very pivotal point in Israel's history. For the best part of 40 years, the Israelites had wandered in the wilderness under the godly shepherding of Moses. But the days of wandering were done. It was time. Israel was poised to cross the Jordan River to take the promised land under their new commander-in-chief, Joshua, who had received the baton of leadership from Moses, but the mantle of authority from God. The Israelites had just come off two major victories in battle, defeating the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, King, Kings Og and Sihon. And now with their sights set on the Canaanite city of Jericho to the west, Joshua sends out two spies to slip into the waters of the Jordan River, swim across, and spy out the land. It is essentially a reconnaissance mission with the goal of bringing back a report of their findings to Joshua. And we will see, it is quite the report that they bring back. This whole story... I mean, it reads like an action-packed movie. <laughs> I'm hoping at some point maybe even Netflix will pick it up. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab. And lodged there. Now, on the surface, when we first meet Rahab, there, there isn't much to consider, right? Like, we're told that she's a prostitute who lives within the city of Jericho. These spies must have, have slipped in under the guise of being common travelers. It would have seemed entirely normal and even expected for them to make their way to Rahab's home. Not only because she provided certain services to her clients— but because she provided necessary lodging for those who were traveling. But as we're going to come to see, this was no ordinary Canaanite prostitute, and, and this was no chance encounter. In fact, this whole passage, it just screams of God's sovereignty. You see, this woman somehow knew who these men were. She also knew why they were there in the city, and more importantly, this woman knew who their God was. Now, we're not told how, but news of the two visitors to the city of Jericho reached the ears of the king. Joshua chapter 2, verse 2, who quickly sends men to Rahab's house. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. The king is immediately alarmed and sends men to the home of Rahab. And, and this is really where the story gets, gets exciting. For just as the king's men approach, Rahab clearly, cleverly devises a plan. And she ushers the two men up onto her roof. And returns just as quickly to have a conversation with those who were sent to her home. Joshua 2, verse 3. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. You know, the king essentially relays there are spies 
in our midst. Bring out those two clients that have come to you this evening, for they are here for nefarious purposes. You know, at this moment, Rahab is faced with a choice. To, the, on the one hand, honor the will and demands of the king and bring the spies out, or she could hide the men, continue to conceal their whereabouts, and courageously risk her own life for theirs. She courageously chooses the latter. Joshua 2, verse 4. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, and, and you'll overtake them. She, she essentially relays to the king's men, Yes, those, those two men had come to my home. We did not do a lot of talking. Uh, and right before the gates were closed for the night, they slipped out. And what I find so incredible here is that this moment, Rahab gives orders to the king's men. Go and pursue them. You will overtake them. This is crazy to me. Here, these king's men are about to heed the suggestion of Rahab. This shows me that she had incredible powers of persuasion, the gift of persuasion. Verse 6. We are told what actually had happened to the men. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. Now, flax uh, in, this, in this setting was a pretty important plant. In fact, it was a fibrous plant that would be rooted and it would be soaked and then dried and then picked apart to create linen cloth. And so on her roof are big stacks of flax that she carefully uses to cover the spies before the king's men even arrived. We know where the, the spies are hidden. The king's men do not, who immediately set out on the advice of Rahab. Joshua 2, verse 7. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. I mean, we know what Rahab knew. The king's men had essentially been sent out on a fool's errand. There would be no spies found that evening. And as the reader, we know where they're really hidden. Up on the roof, covered in stalks of flax. But at this moment, we are faced with a, an interesting issue, and, and one that I was surprised, honestly, that I was going to need to flesh out this morning. You see, commentators, they don't really know what to do with all this. And many have wrestled out the point, how could this, this picture that we just read, how could this be the picture of faith? I mean, she hides the spies, which by its very act is an act of deception. And then she downright lies. You know, she says that she doesn't know where the men are from. Well, in just a few moments, we're going to see she knew exactly where these men were from. And she relayed that she had no idea where they had gone, even though they were right up on her roof. 
You see, in the scriptures, we are told that by faith, Rahab hid the spies. And for some reason, many wrestle with this question, then by faith, are you saying that Rahab lied? I mean, the Bible clearly says that lying is a sin, and so how can this be the picture of faith? I mean, some commentators even go so far to say that if she had really trusted in God, and if she was really walking by faith, she wouldn't have lied and would have trusted God to intervene. You know, I find it very strange and odd that students of the Bible are going to try to point at Rahab and cry out, liar, when the scriptures never do. For the Bible points at Rahab and declares, faithful and righteous. And that's, that's just how I'm going to see this picture. She did what she had to do to protect the spies. They had come under her roof. And according to ancient Near Eastern custom, they had come under her protection and her provision. But I also believe at this moment she was being led by God to be the vessel that God would use to save these men's lives. And in turn, these men would be the vessel to save her life and the lives of her family. She puts her life on the line. A simple search of her home would have been a death sentence for her and possibly even her entire family. This is incredible courage that I will not tarnish in the least. You know, this, this very much reminds me of the stories that we hear about of those who by faith hid the Jews during World War II from the Nazis. You see, in some extreme cases, yes, by faith, we lie. If you have any issue with that last statement, please email me directly. My email is barbara at firewheelfellowship.com. <laughs> Well, once the coast was clear, Rahab quietly makes her way up onto the roof. And this is where Rahab's faith really shines. You know, there's something I want to point out before we read through the next six verses. What is recorded in Joshua chapter 2, over the next verses we're going to read, it is the longest uninterrupted discourse of a woman found anywhere in the scriptures. What we are about to read from verse 8 to verse 13 is the longest recorded discourse of a woman found anywhere in the scriptures. Like I said at the very beginning, this is a significant lady. Joshua chapter 2 verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. <laughs> the Israelite spies must have been shocked. I mean, encouraged, but shocked. Rahab immediately begins to have a theological conversation where she begins to refer to the God of Israel not with some generic term for God, 
but with the personal name of God, the Lord, Yahweh. She is like, I know the Lord. He is the one that has given you victory. It is crazy through this whole discussion, this whole conversation. It reads like Rahab truly knows the Lord, believes in him, and through faith possesses incredible spiritual insight. You know, she is the most unlikely vessel, the most unlikely person on the surface. Don't we get this wrong time and again? We look on the surface of somebody, and in our culture, we are just primed and conditioned to look on the surface of a woman without truly considering the incredible beauty of faith and faithfulness that can exist beneath the surface. Incredible spiritual insight and a capacity for incredible acts of courage that should be celebrated in the church, not minimized nor marginalized. Can all the ladies virtually at home declare amen? Amen. Rahab was not mistaken. She knew of God. And she knew that the Lord was truly with Israel. She relayed that everyone in her city, and really everyone in the entirety of the promised land had heard, and they were, they were terrified. They were frozen in fear. The reports had spread. Verse 10. For we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. They had heard the stories of the exodus from Egypt some 40 years prior. They had heard of the complete routing of the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. But I think over that 40 years, they had convinced themselves that Israel had gotten lost in the wilderness. But then they started to hear the reports of the most recent victories over the formidable Amorite armies of King Og and Sihon. And Rahab knew, and all of the people of the land knew that Israel was coming. But Rahab also knew that it was the God of Israel who was giving them the victory. Verse 11. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. They were left breathless and shaking. Listen to this. These lines that I'm about to read to you, they read as if they're taken directly from the Psalms. For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above, and He is God on the earth beneath. Yes, this woman was terrified. There was imminent destruction ahead. Death and judgment was soon to come upon her city. But this woman had incredible faith in the Lord. 
And again, she articulates lines that are like ripped from Psalm 103. The Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above. He is God on the earth beneath. Rahab here declares that God is the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. How in the world did this pagan, Canaanite prostitute, come to know all of this? So we will come to see God had revealed himself to her. It reminds me of when Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 17. He asked his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. To which Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, flesh and blood had not revealed the Lord to Rahab. The Lord had revealed himself to Rahab. And I believe here that Rahab had heard of another character, characteristic and another quality of the Lord, not only of his rule and his sovereignty and power, she had also heard of his love and his great grace for those who would trust in him. For the, she then seeks the Lord's grace and kindness for her and her family. Simply put, what we are about to read as if she prays, Please, Lord, save us from death. Joshua 2 Verses 12 through 13. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign. This is fascinating. As the Israelites prepared to go into the promised land, they were commanded to not make oaths with any person who they would encounter in the promised land. They were all devoted to destruction. But here we were about to see these two spies sign a covenant of peace under God's grace and name. And the question we have to ask is, why? Because I believe that any person who expresses true faith in the Lord will be saved. It's just like the scriptures record, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. In verse 13, she says, I ask for a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them to deliver our lives from death. She seeks salvation for her entire family. What an incredible woman of faith. See here, she's not just interceding for herself, but she has these deep, incredible, and compassionate pleas for her whole family. Family, we should too. For we know that there is a time when God will judge the earth in righteousness for sin and that every person 
who does not call upon the name of the Lord will be doomed to an eternal death. That yes, with joy, an exceedingly great joy, we can declare John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that all who believe in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. But the question must be asked, what about those who do not believe? The scriptures record they will perish. In John 3, verse 17, we read these words, For God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. And I've often asked myself, why is that there? Why Jesus was not sent into the world to condemn the world? Because the world's already condemned. The scriptures tell us that the world is fallen, that Jesus has come to save the lost who are in this world, who are condemned and destined for death. So he came to die in our place, to be buried and to rise, so that all who call on him will be eternally saved. The scriptures tell us that whoever believes in him Whoever trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Family, we who are people of faith, we need not just intercede for ourselves that only we ourselves come to know the Lord. We should desire everyone to know the Lord. We should fervently pray and fervently share the love of Jesus and his gospel. For it saves the souls of those who are destined for certain death. If we know that death and judgment is looming, we should desire nothing more than for those we love to be saved. She cries out, Please save me and my family from certain death. To which the spies reply in verse 14, The men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. You know, these men may be the vessels, but it is the Lord of kindness that is truly working through these men. It is within the heart of God to save all who believe. Again, all who call out on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. Rahab and her entire family would be saved. She trusts that her and her family are as good as saved from death. And so she then lets the spies down by a rope from her window. Verse 15. She then let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. That's a really strange statement, isn't it? She lived in the wall. Well, in ancient times, 
and in fortified cities, the walls were built with space between the outer wall and the inner wall. And there were often homes that would be built in between. Her home was built within the walls of Jericho, <laughs> her window facing out, which in fact is going to become a really important part of our discussion next week, the walls of Jericho. In verse 16, she gives them really sound guidance. She sent the king's men in one direction. Now she's about to send these spies, the Israelites, in another. She said to them, verse 16, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards you may safely go your way. Continuing to show her kindness and her wisdom, she advises a sound plan for them to go hide in the hills and lay low for three days and head back to camp. Then something very profound happens. Something we are definitely going to flesh out next week. For the spies give Rahab a very significant sign— a way of distinguishing her and the rest of her family from the rest of the city of Jericho. A way of distinguishing her and her family from those who were destined for death. They would be distinguished by a single scarlet cord. Verse 17. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord. If you have your Bible open, I want you to take a pen or a pencil or a highlighter. I want you to highlight that. How significant the scarlet cord is. I want you to tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all of your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our hands and our heads. Every single person that would come under the covering of the scarlet cord tied to the window of Rahab's home would be saved from certain death. In verse 20, they reiterated the conditions. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. She then sent them away, and they departed. <laughs> and she tied the scarlet cord in her window by faith. It's fascinating. We are told that she tied a cord in her window, which, yes, displays her faith. But it wasn't just any cord— it was a scarlet cord. 
It's kind of an odd note, right? Like, why didn't it just say cord or blue cord or yellow cord? Why scarlet? The color of blood. This is where we will pick up next week. A few applications for you this morning. First application, I'm just going to call it this, on the surface. You know, on the surface, we read Rahab the prostitute. And you know, we're inclined to think that on the surface, you know, we think things like harlot, immoral, dirty, impure. It's like the woman who was caught in adultery and dragged through the city streets of John chapter 8 and thrown at Jesus' feet. And we're, attempt, we're tempted to snarl and point our bony finger of self-righteousness and condemn. I find it fascinating and beautiful that Jesus loves to forgive those the world loves to condemn. Jesus loves to forgive and even use those the world loves to condemn. You know, some of us feel like we wear the scarlet letter, the scarlet A, adulterer, alcoholic, abused. Some of us feel like we carry the scarlet letter D, divorced, druggy, dirty, or the scarlet letter S, sinner. But then, we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we place ourselves under His scarlet cord of grace, His shed blood. God then declares, cherished son or daughter, masterpiece, cleansed, forgiven, holy and pure, <laughs> saint. You know, on the surface, there's going to be stains and dents and scratches. But thank God, Jesus looks beneath the surface to the true character of our hearts. Which leads to our second application. Below the surface. First above, now below. On the surface, again, we see a pagan Canaanite prostitute named Rahab. But beneath the surface, we see a compassionate Godly, an intelligent theologian with a better grasp of God's grace and sovereignty than many in the church today. You know, I love that this message just so happened to fall on Mother's Day. I mean, at first, I was looking at the passage and I was like, oh man, Rahab the prostitute on Mother's Day, really? But then as I learned more, and as I've studied more, I was like, yeah, Rahab the prostitute. 
You know, I want to speak at this moment to the ladies virtually in the house. There seems to be this incredible tendency and pressure to evaluate self and worth based upon what is on the surface to compare to others and think not as beautiful, not as smart, not as faithful, not as talented. It's like for, for those of you ladies who are, you're, you're balancing so much, you got the kids, all of a sudden you're like a homeschool mom and the kids are, they're, they're, they've joined together and, and they know, they can see it, they can see the fear in our eyes and and uh, you look at Facebook, and you know, you see that incredible mom, right? And she's got that, that baked cookies going on, and, and the kids are smiling and happy, and she's just balancing the everything and working from home, and, and you're sitting there, you're like, I'll never compare to that. There's this tendency to compare to others, and again, to think not as beautiful, not as smart, not as faithful or talented. Please, my sister in Christ, hear this. That is not at all what God sees, and that isn't truth. You see, for in Christ, God sees masterpiece and inherent beauty, intelligence, gifts, and talents. You are, in fact, His special treasure of grace. You are loved, and you are not the sum of the total of what is on the surface. Just like Rahab, it is the inner quality of the heart. And I will end here. Interceding for our loved ones. You know, when we're given opportunity to seek salvation, and the opportunity is every moment, if you have not called out upon the name of the Lord, the Lord's listening always. His ear is attentive. Anyone who at any moment calls out on him will be saved. But what I love about Rahab is she did not just seek her own salvation, but the salvation of her entire family. The salvation of her mom and her dad and brothers and sisters and their spouses and their kids. She wanted all of them to be saved. You know, that should be the heart of every Christian. We get lulled into complacency and even discouragement where we stop sharing the love of Jesus. We stop interceding. And as time goes on, we... We even tend to forget. Family, the world is condemned already. And that means our unsaved loved ones and friends and neighbors, they need to know the great grace and what Jesus has done for them. And you know what? It's our responsibility, but it's also our joy to share with them the message that somebody so graciously shared with us. Somebody was kind enough to share the message of salvation in the gospel with you and with me.
Now it is our privilege to share the love of Jesus with others. May we take and graciously give what has been so freely given to us. I feel like that is plenty for the morning. Let us pray together. Lord, this morning we pray in the words of Rahab. You are the Lord. You are the God of heaven. You are the God of earth. You are kind and gracious and loving. And just as Rahab prayed and cried out for salvation, we ourselves, Lord Jesus, cry out for salvation. There is certain death that will come upon all of humanity. But it is you, Jesus, who suffered and died so that we do not have to experience that death. So that even if this whole entire world falls apart, we've got hope. Because we got eternal life. And there is something awaiting us on the other side of Jordan. Please fill us today with a greater sense of hope and not fear. Courage like Rahab. To walk in faith. Even when it would be just so much easier to walk in fear. I pray that we would have the humility and the willingness to share with others what, Lord Jesus, you led someone else to share with us. And if this morning you are listening to this message and you're listening to the words that I'm speaking and you feel the Lord stirring your heart, leading you to be saved, that you desire to call out on the name of the Lord and the quietness of your heart tell him, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for me. I believe you were buried and that you have risen. Please, Jesus, save my life. If that is truly your heart's prayer, you have passed from death to life, from blindness to sight, from condemned to saved. Welcome to the family. Please save our family, our moms and dads, brothers and sisters, extended family, neighbors, community, world. May your gospel go into the world, reach and save the lives of the lost. And may we be your ambassadors.
In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.